Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, September 22nd. On the heels of the federal election, we begin with a look at the electoral process here in Canada. We speak with Sharon Somerville from Fair Vote Canada about our current first-past-the-post system and look at what alternatives could be a better fit moving forward. Next is another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. As always, Dr. Janney takes time to answer COVID-19 questions as sent in by you, the listeners. The housing market continues to trend hot across the country. We speak with a home inspection specialist for his thoughts on the Liberal government's Home Buyers Bill of Rights program that they campaigned on. We'll hear details on how it could be a huge benefit to those currently in the market for a new home. And finally, it's a real feather in the cap for Calgary's craft brewery industry and one brewery in particular. We speak with brewmaster and co-owner of Establishment Brewing on their recent announced win of Canada's Best Brewery. The election is behind us, but is it time to demand voter reform? Are our elections fair, and do they ensure equal representation across our country? To answer some questions, we're joined this morning by Sharon Somerville, media spokesperson for Fair Vote Canada. Good morning, Sharon. Thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning, Sue. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show today. Well, let's start first. This is our system, first past the post. Explain how that works before we move beyond that. Absolutely. So first past the post is called a majoritarian system, and the it, it's akin to a horse race. So the first nose across the line wins. So it's a winner-take-all system. So someone can get, say, 35% of the popular vote, they take the seat. The remaining sort of, you know, candidates get nothing, and it also means that a very large percentage of the voters are also shut out of that race because they don't have representation. Only the folks that voted for the candidate that that took the riding have actual representation. And that is pretty much the nub of the problem, Sue, is that, you know, in uh, First Past the Post, and we can certainly see it in this election so very strongly, it distorts the voting results. It distorts it, Sharon, and it's fine for us to, to pile on and say, you know, it, it might not be the best fit. But I guess uh, we'd ask you, as someone in the know, what would the alternative be? And, and could there even be a possibility for literally every Canadian has a voice and those numbers at the end of the day, at the end of the night, represent, you know, the number one vote getters? Yeah, actually, thanks, Andy, because that's actually like the critical question. What are the alternatives? And so what we know is that our first-past-the-post system uh, comes to us through the British tradition. And, in fact, most Western democracies don't use first-past-the-post. There are 94 countries around the world that use um, a better choice, uh, which we would be, which is what Fair Vote Canada is trying to educate Canadians and politicians about, and it's called proportional representation. Um, there are numerous systems of proportional representation around the world, but basically they do result in um, an electorate that is uh, more satisfied with their government because uh, much larger percentages of folks um, do uh, end up having uh, a vote that influences the outcome and a representation that they're happier with. So if you look at um, 
you know, just just about name any kind of Western democracy, and it's very likely that they use some element or some system of proportional representation. So we would be looking at, you know, Germany, New Zealand, um, Norway, Denmark, um, Austria. Um, they all use proportional representation. There are 94 countries around the world that use proportional representation. And other jurisdictions within countries like, you know, states or provinces or cantons also use uh, proportional representation. The European Union is elected using proportional representation. So um, we are actually, we're outliers mm. that continue to use this very outdated first-past-the-post system, Andy. First-past-the-post comes actually to us uh, via the Magna Carta in 2015. So it's a little outdated for Slightly. modern needs. Yes, and, and obviously then that's why, you know, when you compare it to proportional representation, people feel like their voice has been heard, that what they think and want actually counted. So, I mean, we heard, uh, you know, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau promise voter reform in the past, but then said there was no political appetite for it. Mm. Do, you, do you see it ever changing? Like, how, how do we push this forward as, as people? That's another really great question, Sue, because, um, yeah, Prime Minister Trudeau did promise us a, a change in 2015, and he made that promise many, many, many times. And since he made that promise, um, and, and the number of, uh, you know, elections since then, 2019, and then, and then this week's election, have really, I think, woken people up to the issues in first past the post. So although um, the prime minister did not deliver on the promise to change our electoral system, he certainly did help contribute to a much broader national conversation about the need for electoral reform. And right now we're looking at some like really interesting numbers. Um, you know, Angus Reid um, did a poll in 2019, which indicated that amazingly seven out of 10 conservative supporters are now actively, you know, interested in electoral reform. Mm. In 2015, that number was only one third. So there has been, and we are seeing it in so many ways, a real sea change in people's understanding about how our electoral system does not benefit uh, voters and citizens. It benefits the two major political parties. And that therein actually lies the, that is the obstacle to real change, is um, there's a lot of appetite in, um, in the public for it, and has been for actually many years. Uh, but there are two main obstacles. One is that the current system serves the two primary parties. And the other one is um, an avenue forward. How do we move forward? And, and right now, um, Fair Vote Canada is looking um, at something called a citizens' assembly. Now, we've used citizens' assemblies in Canada in the past. They're used throughout the world to look at and, well, to address issues that are fractious or divisive and need to be addressed without partisan self-interest. So they're more objective. Um, the example I like to use was uh, is uh, is Ireland. Um, they had uh, a recent um, citizens' assembly on um, abortion, the right to choose, mm. and very very divisive issue. 
and um, they gathered this uh, group of citizens. Um, the citizens educated themselves. They came together. They um, addressed the issue, and then they made a recommendation to, to, to uh, their government. And then they, they moved forward uh, with that issue from that point. So we think, uh, Fairville Canada thinks, that a citizens' assembly would be a really excellent way to build the consensus. And that was what Justin Trudeau was talking about, that there was no consensus. He was actually wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Um, over 80% of the uh, expert witness um, testimony to the special um, all Party Committee on Electoral Reform, if you recall, that was sort of a, a thing back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, that was part of uh, the promise, uh, Trudeau's promise. Um, 80% of yes. those um, expert witness uh, testimonies indicated that if you want a fair and equitable yeah. um, electoral system, it has to include some kind of proportional representation. Well, we're going to have to leave it there for, for time, but uh, that you, you've more than answered the question in the sense that we weren't sure what the options would be and what the steps would be to uh, you know, make that happen in our country. So we appreciate your time, Sharon. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you for having me this morning, Andy. Good stuff. Take good care. Thanks, you too. That's Sharon Somerville, media spokesperson for Fair Vote Canada online at fairvote.ca. Since the start of the pandemic, we've been posing your COVID-19 questions to our expert. Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Janney. Good morning to you once again, Dr. Janney. Good morning. I've got a personal question off the hop here, Dr. Janney, and that is, I believe uh, this Friday, if I'm not mistaken, will be the two-week mark that we re-implemented masks, Um, you know, not only in our city, but in the province. Yes. And uh, let's talk about the parameters of of the time frame we we could start to see the curve being flattened Mm -hmm. by that increased mask wearing. Are Are we starting to see it now? It's hard to say. I, I think what we are seeing is a little less of that explosive uh, exponential growth. So cases do still appear to be rising. We, we, we tragically are putting increased numbers of people in the hospital and in, in ICU, but we're not seeing that that doubling every day or, or every three or four days. So that's good news. Um, you know, are we starting to see the impact? Will we see the? Will we see a similar impact that that we saw in previous? waves still up for debate keeping in mind there's an awful lot or at least at the time that the mask rules were brought back in there was a lot of exemptions so they were a little less universal in the community which means they likely would have little less impact than we saw in in wave two and wave three dr jenny here's a question from a texture mm-hmm. shouldn't the vaccine be classified more as a therapeutic than a true vaccine because it doesn't actually completely prevent you from getting covid no, so a vaccine is something that prevents a disease or mitigates a disease, and that's very much what we're seeing. And in most people, it does prevent you from getting COVID. We have to remember, too, that the COVID itself is not the virus. It's not the infection. COVID is the disease. And we are seeing um, when people are vaccinated, their risk of any kind of hospitalization of ICU visits is dramatically lower. And even in those people that have a breakthrough infection, that is a small percentage of the total number of vaccinated people. So the vaccine is absolutely stopping infection in a large number of people. And in the few that have a breakthrough, it's stopping that severe disease, which very much is the goal of any vaccine. 
Yeah, on the topic, the topic of the vaccine, Dr. Jenny, it was announced early this week from Pfizer itself saying that they've done their trials, they've done their tests, and that the vaccine, although a smaller dose, is safe for children ages 5 to 11. If you could give us a quick review now, like, for example, on our side of the border, uh, what is the process for the government to, to okay the Pfizer for that age group? Right, so what Pfizer will be asked to do is to supply their data to Health Canada. And that's not Pfizer's interpretation of their data. That's not their executive summary. Health Canada will require the data of every patient that was in that study. And then our doctors, our decision makers, will review that data. So we do have situations where, for example, drugs are approved in other countries and they don't meet Canada's standard. So we can have a great deal of confidence that when it, if it's approved, when it's approved in Canada, that is because it meets our standard and not because we're simply following someone else's recommendation. So we will see every individual patient in that study, we will see the outcomes, we will see the protection, and then we will make our own decisions. Dr. Jane, let's talk a little bit about testing. So uh, we had a texter, Shauna, asking how do they test for the variants? So is there a, a separate test for COVID and the variants thereof? Yes, so that, that is the way it is set up in Alberta. For the COVID test, what we're looking for is a little tiny piece of the, the genetic material of the virus. And in Alberta, we actually look for three different targets in that virus. So, it, it, you know, we, we hear a lot of questions about false positives and other things. It is extremely rare because we're looking for three separate fingerprints and they all have to be there. To test for the target, we actually then read the entire genome. So we actually get all of the genetic sequence from the various targets in the, in the virus. So not just is it there, but we actually read the entire book of the genetic sequence, and then we can compare it to a list of which, virus, uh, which viruses are in the community that we know about. And in doing that, we can identify which mutations it has, and that's what identifies it as a target, as the variant. This uh, texture, this one just comes in uh, a minute or two ago. My son experienced severe chest pain with his second shot. Will a booster be dangerous for him? It's Pfizer they're talking about. So right now we're not seeing recommendation for booster for younger people unless they have an underlying condition. The evidence I've seen from that third shot is that the side effects or the adverse events are no worse, no more frequent than what we were seeing in, in either the first or second shot. So this is not an additive thing. We're not seeing any increased safety signal. But as with any vaccine, if you're experiencing a side effect that, that is even in your opinion, unexpected, absolutely contact a healthcare professional. And you know, nine times out of ten, more than that, it's nothing. And simply talking to somebody puts your mind at ease regarding anything that might seem unusual to you. Yeah, I, you know, this texter just uh, texted in to say, "How come natural immunity is never spoken of? Can we discuss the power of natural immunity? We've talked about it a yeah. lot, and we've certainly discussed it with you many times. But yeah. let's go over it again." Sure. I mean, it, it's not that it's a bad thing. You know, mm. natural immunity is is absolutely a, a good thing yep. but it at the end of the day if we had to compare that to the vaccinated immunity it's not quite as good it doesn't last as long perhaps my bigger concern with natural immunity is it does not appear to cover against variants quite as well so if you get infected with one strain or one variant you are less protected against those other variants whereas vaccines seem to give a really good protection across the board the other unfortunate piece and just the reality of natural immunity is you have to potentially go through that disease process to come out the other end. Right. And as we're seeing, you know, not everybody goes through that with ease or, or with mild symptoms. Some people are hospitalized, some people lose their lives. And in that case, 
you know, th- that's a big price to, to pay to try to get natural immunity, where we have an alternative that is extremely safe and generates, in, at least in, in the real world, better protection against uh, the, the, the array of variants out there. Dr. Janney, along the immunity front, something we've seen online, I think, Sue, you po- pointed out to me on your own social media as well, somebody coming out and saying, well, the problem is we're, we're pushing these vaccines when the issue is people need to eat healthy, take their mm-hmm. vitamins, take care of themselves and lose weight. And, and then that'll be fine. And then they'll be fine. If you, can you debunk that for us? Yeah, again, th- those are all good things. They all mm-hmm. help. But, you know, we, we have... Uh, as we hear from the, the Chief Medical Officer of Health, a number of people in ICU have no underlying conditions. We know that for a fact. Yes, the risk may be lower if you are extremely healthy, but the risk is still far from zero, and we have healthy 20, 30-year-olds that are on ventilators right now. So, you know, the, we have to avoid getting this infection because everything is still odds, and you're rolling the dice as to whether you will have a mild disease or whether you end up hospitalized. Dr. Jenny, can you hold on while I take a quick break? Yes, I can. Perfect. Thank you. That is Dr. Craig Jenny. He'll be back with us in two minutes. Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Well, he has the answers. He said it and he has the answers. Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary, takes your questions, helps us debunk some myths, bring the truth forward when it comes to COVID-19 and the pandemic. I've got a question here, more of a clarification, Dr. Janney. Mm-hmm. Uh, this texture says, the doctor says, uh, well, the, this texture says, I thought it was a virus. The doctor's calling it a disease. I'm mm-hmm. confused. Yeah, so this is something that, that you know, I, I fully admit I, I'm entirely guilty of and something we've we've done a very poor job, I, I think, in, in media and press in general. As I said, this is all on me as well. COVID-19 is the disease we experience. The virus is actually called SARS-CoV-2. So the virus is a, a severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus number two, related to SARS from 2004. When it gets into us and we experience a disease, that disease is the COVID-19. Ah, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so here's another question just came in. What about Johnson & Johnson? Why are we not talking about that? Why are we not getting it in Canada? Yeah, that was the one doser, question. right? Yeah, I, you know, we approved it in Canada, and just for whatever reason, I, this is largely due to some of the emergency uh, acts brought into play in the U.S. We were unable to get doses in Canada. So it was a vaccine we evaluated, a vaccine that we said was safe and worked, and basically, as we move forward, we just never could get the doses imported into Canada, despite having pre-existing contracts. So, so we had signed these contracts, we had pre-ordered it, and basically through you know legislation that in, enacted emergency procurement, they stopped it from leaving the, the U.S., and we were unable to, to bring it into Canada. Mm. Very interesting stuff. Uh, let's uh, talk about, uh, we've got another question here, and I know that you have your favorite sites if people, and it's interesting because we had somebody who texted us, I believe, last week who said, does Dr. Jenny have a website where yeah. we can get out the answers? And we said, well, that's his next side business, I would think. Um, but are there resources where people can easily, I mean, obviously calling your family physician is one thing, but if they have questions, do you have a, a favorite websites people can get the correct information from? Not, uh, not Facebook. Not Facebook. Yeah, I mean, that, that's not to say that there wouldn't be a good one somewhere on Facebook, but, but sorting through it, I, I mean, the, the simplest, the one that is most accurate with, with up-to-date data are the government websites. So PHAC is uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada, has all of the information, including the, 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 the product inserts, 
for each of these vaccines, it lists all of the side effects, all of the, the information. PHAC can, uh, compiles all of the reported side effects, so there's entire transparency. You could click on that, see what's happening. But that's also where the decisions, the approvals, will be first announced here in Canada. So if you want to stay on top of what's allowed here, what's recommended here, versus getting tied up in other countries that may not have the same uh, safety standards as Canada, you know, going right to the source is a good one, as well as the Government of Alberta page. It is a really good resource for finding those vaccines, for, for addressing the, the top-level issues, but also gives you pretty accurate information about where the virus is in the community, how many people are getting sick, and, and puts it in perspective that this isn't something that's happening in the background while we go about our daily lives. It's right there in our community now. Nailed it once again, Dr. Janney. Thanks, as always, for joining us. You're welcome both. Take care. You too. Appreciate it. Craig Janney is Associate Professor of Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. What is the Home Buyer's Bill of Rights, and how might this Liberal campaign promise make sure that buying a home is fair, open, and transparent? To discuss, we're joined this morning by Carson Dunlop, CEO of Pomp and Circumstance PR. Good morning, Carson. Uh, good morning. It's Alan Carson, actually. Alan, but, uh, I'm sorry, Alan. We have your name wrong here. I apologize for that. Thank you so much, Alan, for joining us. Uh, I w- wanted to talk about this because can you kind of break down and, and define what this Home Buyer's Bill of Rights might be? Yeah, and I'm going to focus certainly on the home inspection part of it because that's uh, that's our stock and trade. That's the area that we're in. But in the big picture, what we're trying to accomplish is uh, leveling the playing field uh, for people buying a home. And uh, it's great that the Bill of Rights recognizes the uh, importance of home inspection and uh, speaks to giving a legal right to uh, a home inspection to all home buyers and uh in the crazy market uh, we've been living through, home buyers have been foregoing home inspections against their better judgment uh, in order to have a chance to buy a house. And uh, we think it's absolutely critical that uh, people are able to make an informed decision when they're making the, the largest purchase of their life. So this is terrific news. So let's talk about you know what the setup is right now when it surrounds home inspections and those folks looking at uh, you know getting into a new residence. What is uh, the setup right now, and what will this mean exactly moving ahead? Well, what's happening now um, is that people are being told that they cannot get a home inspection. In fact, they can't put in any kind of conditional offer because of the competition for homes. Mm -hmm. And so people are having to forego a financing condition, a home inspection condition, and so on. And that just puts them at such a disadvantage. And even when people try to do a pre-offer home inspection, so we're finding that people are saying, okay, we're going to accept offers on Tuesday evening. So if you try and get a home inspector in on Friday or Saturday before, they're often saying, no, we don't have time. You can't come in. The seller's not allowing inspections or you only have 30 minutes for a showing. Well, home inspection takes about two and a half hours. So we are finding people are absolutely shut out. And um, the, the solution in my mind is simple and clear. And that is that People should be doing a pre-listing inspection before a house goes on the market, and I think that's how all real estate in Canada should be sold. So it levels the playing field, provides transparency. Everybody can see uh, it's fair to all buyers, it's fair to the seller, and uh, people can move forward. And in our in our business, 
uh, at Carson Dunlop, we have over the last two or three years found that about two-thirds of our inspections are now for sellers rather than the traditional home buyers, which was always the way it was for the 40 years before that. So the market is shifting. We just need to get people educated and accepting the fact that pre-listing inspections are a win-win-win for everybody. And, and you really believe, Alan, that would sort of cool things down and, and ease off the, the pressure that we have on the market right now? Absolutely. I think that makes uh, buyers, and what we're finding, at, then buyers can all come to the table with all of the same information so they know what they're getting into, so they can make a, a serious offer based on... And no house is perfect. They all need some improvements. And sometimes people find out quite a large number of improvements for tens of thousands of dollars that they weren't prepared for. This, I think, gives everybody uh, an understanding of what they're getting into. It's absolutely fair. There are no losers. And I think it's a terrific solution. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about the fact that, you know, this is something that's happening nationwide. How quickly do you think, if implemented, we could see these changes? I mean, red tape uh, seems to be something not just in, in uh, government, but all sorts of industries, including the, uh, the home buying industry. Well, I think that's right. And uh, I've spoken to a number of real estate professionals, by the way, who feel the same way. So government regulation is certainly one way to get there. But uh, as you say, nothing seems to happen very quickly. Um, I think um, the the real estate community and the home inspection community could work together and accomplish a great deal without uh, having to to wait to legislation. So it's great that there is a Home Buyers Bill of Rights uh, planned. But I just don't know when that's going to be implemented or uh, uh, how broadly. There are lots of questions in my mind about that. Yeah, two years uh, down the road doesn't help anybody. Exactly. Thank you so much, Alan, for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Alan Carson is the founder and CEO of Carson Dunlop, Canada's leading home inspection agency. You can get more online, carsondunlap.com. I just, you know what, I have friends who during the pandemic, in the past six months or a little longer than that, bought a house, not sight unseen, walked through it, and, uh, you know, they said there was no, oh, with the home inspector, we didn't have t- a chance, we didn't have time. Because you needed to buy the house. It was, ha- so, there was gonna go. so many competing, uh, you know, offers that if you yeah. if you did it, then you were out. And Well, if somebody will bid you by $10,000 or something, you think, well, hopefully there's not enough wrong with this house to cost me ten yeah. grand. It's a real crapshoot. That's a slippery slope for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Makes sense. Makes sense to, to get this home bu- homeowner's bill of rights. Will it happen? Hmm, we'll see. And, and like I say, when? Yeah. Like, oh, great, 2024. And the Canadian Brewery Awards were announced this week. And for a second straight year, a Calgary brewery won top prize. Joining us this morning is Mike Fognac, a head brewer and co-owner of the best brewery in Canada, Establishment Brewery, located right here in Calgary. Congratulations, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, and good morning, everyone. Wow. Okay, so what is it that's so darn great about Establishment Brewery? Well, how did you how did you get named Best in the Country? That's quite the honor. Uh, so every year, uh, there's the Canadian Brewing Awards that takes place in various places around Canada. Uh, this year is in Quebec City, and uh, breweries from across uh, Canada, they submit their best beers, and they get judged objectively against... Um, kind of a list of styles. So uh, beer judges, kind of trained beer judges, take these beers and they evaluate them uh, in a double-blind tasting. And, and the brewery that wins the most awards uh, takes home the, the grand prize, which is uh, Canadian Brewery of the Year. Awesome. 
Well, you know, you've got a few in the stable when it comes to establishment. Was there one of, of your varieties that, that uh, you know, propelled you, or was it the whole uh, gamut? So at, at our brewery here uh, in Calgary, we, we like to brew all kinds of styles. Like, we basically say we don't discriminate against any beer styles, but in particular in this, uh, in this um, competition, um, the style of beer that uh, kind of got the most accolades was our barrel-aged wild beer. So uh, we make um, this style called uh, Mixed Culture Wild Beer. And the best way to kind of describe it is, is it's kind of like the sourdough of beer, where if you think about like a normal Pilsner or a Kolsch, that's like the white bread. Well, this is kind of like the sourdough. So there's uh, a variety of wild yeast and bacteria that make unique flavors. And we age these beers in, in uh, used red wine barrels from anywhere from about eight months to three years. We blend them back together, sometimes add fruit for re-fermentation, and it's very much a labor of love, very labor-intensive. And we bottle these beers in 750-mil bottles, and, yeah, they're really unique. Fantastic. And those are, the ones that, those are the ones that won the medal. That's awesome. You know, we're known, of course, obviously, in this province for oil and gas, but here in Calgary, it really seems like beer, craft beers have become... Uh, thing and we are sort of becoming one of the, the best in the country because this is the second year in a row that a Calgary brewery has won this big award. You guys taking it this year, obviously. What is it about Calgary? Or, or is it because we have so many that's drawing more? Yeah, I think there's a lot of great breweries um, across Canada, of course, um, and I think Alberta seems to be really picking up a lot of awards in these in these national competitions. So there must be something really special here. I mean the the, the water's great. We have great barley here. And I think there was a little bit of a vacuum in the craft beer industry for a number of years. And and uh, the access to international beers was available in the, in the liquor store, so people kind of understand what good beer tastes like from across the world. Um, and just recently, there's just been um, kind of a craft beer boom. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's great. It's great. And now I've got some homework ahead of me. I have to sample. <laughs> I have my on that afternoon delight, a New England pale ale, Sue. I have to give that a shot. Yum. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Mike. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Mike uh, Fonyuk uh, is, of course, the head brewer and co-owner of Establishment Brewery. You can find them online, as I've just done, at Establishment Brewery, a brewing, rather, with an I-N-G dot C-A. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.